0: Today is May twenty second, two thousand sixteen. The title of today's message is Generations. Generations. Uh, I have to be honest with you. Part of this, it's interesting sometimes how how God does this. I uh, am um, enjoying waking up every single day thinking about the next time that I get to speak to you. Uh, I, I think about it all day long. It, it, it permeates my thoughts. Uh, I. Set those things aside, Lord, I just want to hear from you, and I know that soon enough I'll be speaking to my friends, I'll be speaking to this body. Lord, would you help me? God, would you show me? Would you teach me? Would you expand what I understand so I can bless these people? And and I have to say that part of this um, message today came in two forms. One was I got to talk to my mom recently, and uh, uh, we were talking about my son Gabriel, and we were talking about how that my mom... Uh, my mom's mom, so my grandmother got saved as an adult and became a prayer warrior, uh, loved praying, basically understood how to pray all day long, really became a prayer warrior. That influenced my mother. Uh, my mother got to go on a few mission trips in her life. Uh, she was already in her teenage years and almost adult when her mother got saved. And so it was an incredible thing that the Lord did in my mother and my family, but obviously she's got to start later. So she went on two or three mission trips in her life and what that did for me was I grew up with a mother who understood the importance of missions in the church. Uh, I can remember my mom walking around the house. I can remember my mom doing dishes. And I would remember hearing her praying in the Spirit. Amen. I do, I remember that. Uh, as a grown man, I've, done, I've called my mom before and said, Hey, I just want to tell you that I still remember those days while you were washing dishes. You were cleaning out the oven." You were doing laundry. And I remember as a child hearing my mother cry out in a heavenly language, just praying, joyfully doing the dishes. What, what a mundane kind of task, right? Except that when my mother did it, it impacted my generation because it impacted me. The little things that go on. Amen. I got to go on, I've been on a few mission trips in my life, and, and I'm excited about that and plan on going on many more uh, all of my children have now, at their ages, they've all surpassed me in the mission trips that they've gone on. At 16, Gabe has gone on far more mission trips than I did. I didn't even start on missions trips until I was 19. So they were far ahead of me. Olivia, far ahead of me. Anna, at 6. She's been to Mexico a couple of times. I was thinking about AJ. And I was like, good grief. AJ, not even old enough to know where she's been But with her parents all over the world for extended periods of time. It made me think about that. I also saw, uh, and I'm not going to show you the video clip. I decided not to show it to you. I'm just going to tell it to you real quickly. It was because it was a commercial. It was a commercial. So I wasn't going to bore you with the commercial. But in the commercial, there's a family, a dad, a mom, and two kids, boy and a girl. And they're wearing all white. The couch is white. The little living room vignette that they're in is pretty much all white, right? Monochromatic. And they're all sitting there, and they all sit down on this little couch. I don't know if you can get this on the camera. Hopefully you can. So they all sit down on a couch, and they're just sitting there. And the commercial is for a product that helps remove profanity from TV shows or whatever. I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. They show that the first profane word that was ever spoken in a motion picture was in 1939. Gone with the wind. <laughs> Frankly, my dear. And when the word, in place of the word, because they don't say any profanity, there's a single shot from a paintball gun. <laughs> and so the kid, the boy is sitting there. Pow. Huh. And then they show a graph that's really disturbing. That through the generations, as you can imagine, from the first word we can point that out to... Uh, They showed a a more modern movie within the last few years. And they just listed the primary, obviously they had it abbreviated, but they listed the primary curse words. And one that's particularly vile, 528 times within the one movie. That's just one type of the curse word, just one curse word. Right, so the, the next scene, they show that graph and you're like, whoa. And so what they do is they replicate the impact of that movie by... An entire group of people, wearing the word that was used, edited out, have these masks and they have paintball guns. And in a slow mo kind of way, they fire somewhere around five thousand shots at these people. They set it to the eighteen twelve overture. <laughs> you know, and the glass breaks, and you know it goes through. And they're getting assaulted. They're getting absolutely assaulted by the words that they're hearing. Very powerful image, right? The reason I didn't want to show it was because I'm not actually trying to lobby for this particular product. Um, I'm going to encourage you as a believer, what would we need that for? Why would we need a service that removed all vulgarity from what we're watching? Are you with me without me having to finish this all the way? What are you watching that would put you in such a state that you would need someone else to decide for you what is appropriate and not appropriate and therefore make it better for you to watch? I'm going to guess that even if you took out the profanity from most movies, I'm going to probably say, yeah. there probably is going to be a lot of themes that you'd have to, I mean, what's left of a movie? It's a commercial thing, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just four minutes of dead air, Right. The point is not to fuss at you about your movie choices. The point is to say that as this church has been doing very intentionally for many years and specifically for the last few months, I want to remind us all that we have a standard that we're supposed to be living up to. I want to remind you that you are being assaulted every day. Just because you don't mind it, just because it's become so much a part of your life and my life, just because it's become commonplace in your life, doesn't mean that you're not being assaulted. Parents, your children are being assaulted every day. And when I say that, it starts making me angry. Hopefully it's not the fit of rage that, that Justin Triester taught us about on Friday night. That would be a work of the flesh but it makes me angry. If you would tell me that something was happening to my kids, that someone, in a way that I could stop, was doing something to my kids, I can assure you that nothing else in that moment would even matter. I would stop in the middle of a sentence. I would just move towards making sure that my kids weren't assaulted. We live in a world that is trying to assault us as Christians every day from without, from within. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 11 and I want us to get into the Word and see what the Word has to tell us about some very sobering things here. Matthew chapter 11. (laughs) We're going to start in verse... um, We're going to start in verse 7. Matthew 11 and verse 7. It says this. Jesus replied. I tell you what, let's go go to verse 1. I'm sorry, let's go to verse 1. I think it's worth no need to rush through this. Matthew 11, 1. After Jesus had finished instructing His 12 disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing... He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, this is a pretty potent question. Actually, scholars are still kind of wrestling with this question that he asks. Kind of started a ball rolling that some people are even talking about still today. Why? John is in prison, but if you remember, John was the one that says, behold, the Lamb of God, who's come to take away the sins of the world. He's proclaiming the Messiah. People were asking John the Baptist, hey, so, are you Elijah? Are you the one coming before? John is in prison. And he's sending out this question through surrogates, through friends that have to go and talk to Jesus and say, Hey, are, are, are you the one? I mean, I know I said that. I got divine revelation. And I'm sitting here in prison trying to figure this out, though. I, I'm, I'm still in prison after 18 months or so. So I need, to, did I get that right? I think I did. I'm pretty sure that I did. Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. That's a pretty outstanding response. Jesus didn't just say, something ethereal he said look at what i've been doing look at what god has been showing through me here's the answer you want you wanted a yes or no answer let me tell you by what i'm doing what the answer needs to be the blind receive sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cured the deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor poor blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me You know what I think Jesus was telling John right there? John? Even if I don't get you out of prison? Is that what it's going to take you to believe in me? Or are we going to, are we going to stay with what you, what you already know? Are we only going to serve the Lord if He removes the, all the difficult circumstances from my life? Or are we going to actually just say, okay, blessed are, is the man who does not fall away on account of Christ? Wow. Verse 7, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Now, He's about to compliment John. He is going to honor John, even after this little exchange. What, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? That phrase really caught my, caught my mind's uh, attention. It caught my heart this morning. Thinking about it last yesterday and today, what, what did you go out in the desert? Said, so Jesus is now talking to the crowd. Hey, hey guys, what did you what did you want to see from John? Did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind? In Jewish teaching and Jewish culture, it was <laughs> the reed swayed by the wind was set in opposition to an oak tree. Um, Susan, if you can go to the slides real quick, this is from the book Yeshua, the conclusion of the story of this parable between a reed and an oak tree is this. Was the oak, because of its refusal to compromise, could end upon losing its life in the storm. But the reed, though it might survive, could only do so by continually bending. What do you expect to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Did you think you were going to see in John or the people of God somebody who should be the wind is going to blow this way, so we become... What, what would we call that in, in, a, in a popular culture? Compromise. We would call it being politically correct. We would call it some type of cultural thing that tries to shift us to and fro. And if the wind gets going hard enough, what do we do? They want us to lean towards it. I want to encourage you. This is not a church made up of reeds. Amen. This is a church that desires to be made up of oaks of righteousness. The very planting of the Lord. But here's the problem with this scenario. Here's the problem with the parable. The reed is likely to survive longer. Because it won't break. Just going to go with the flow. We're just going to be relaxed in what we do. Why do you guys hold to such deep convictions? Because we're trying to be oaks of righteousness. And you know what that means? Even if the winds come, even if a tornado rips through or a hurricane comes through, you know what happens? I would rather break in half I would rather be splintered by the pressures of this world than give in and not have any integrity about what I do. Amen. This is a church that wants to develop an entire body of believers who decide that martyrdom is better than compromise. Yes. It's not enough that there are individuals who are willing to do that. That is a great honor of my life to be standing around men and women who I believe that would actually give their life for the gospel. As a pastor of this body, it's not enough that I can say, well, oh, there might be a few." My heart is that we all stand like oaks of righteousness. The older I get, the more that I realize there are worse things than death. There are a lot of things that are worse than death. My daughter had a dream the other day about martyrdom. I can assure you at 13 I was not having dreams about martyrdom. Don't don't have any idea what that that would have been at that age. Seeing friends and people from this church, people who were willing to stand for Christ, In the dream, watching her family, her parents, her siblings, die for Christ. Encouraging members in this room to stand strong. Being put on display. And having to decide in a very public way. Whether she wanted to be an oak or whether she wanted to be a reed. Wow. Reminds me that as evil as this world is getting, when things are handed down through the generations, you know what's supposed to happen? It's supposed to get better. When wickedness is handed down, it gets worse and worse and worse. The depravity grows and grows and grows, but so too does righteousness. It grows and it grows and it grows before I get too deep in, into this study today, let me encourage you. Parents, single people, grandparents, if you are not developing within yourself an understanding that what we are doing is generationally, it has to be with, through a generational perspective, then you're missing out. If you think that what we're doing in this Gospel is only about you, is only about your four and no more, then you've missed the understanding that what we are doing is supposed to be transmitted through the generations. It is not acceptable to me that I make it into the kingdom, my family be damned. It is not acceptable to me. Well, amen. Well, duh, you're a parent. Yeah, but you don't understand. My success in life is not going to be about what I accomplish. My success in my life is going to be about what my children accomplish, Amen. and about what their children accomplish, yes. and about what their children accomplish. Yes. This word applies to everyone in the room. If you don't have kids, then you know what this means. It means it's you and those that God is going to give you as spiritual children and influence that you are supposed to have. I do not, we're working very hard as a church not to hear the word from the Lord and presume, and see how we can get out of it. Oh, that's so true. Man, that's true for everybody else. Does it apply to me? Wrong. Part of being an oak says, every word that comes out, if it's from the Bible, I want to filter it and see, Lord, I've told you this before, every word that comes out, every prophecy, every word of encouragement, every prayer, you know what I'm doing? Lord, how does this apply to me? Not, Lord, does it apply to me? Not, I guess it's for me. Lord, how does this apply to me and how should how do you want me to respond right now? When I hear a scripture that says that it's got to be faith that Abraham went and didn't know where he was going, Lord, in what areas? Am I holding out on you? Am I wanting things neat and tidy before I'm moving in your life, before I'm allowing you to move or before I'm moving? Every word, because it's precious to me. Because it's not just about me. If you, are, if you have grown kids, I'm reminded in 1 John 2, we have the, the children, the young men, and the fathers. And that, in that text, it's 50 and over or so. If you are 50 and over, you still have purpose in this church. Amen. We need you in this church. We need you. If you're not here doing what you're supposed to be doing, this church... Lacks something. We need men, we need women who can teach the youngers, those of us who are younger, what life is all about. This this may not feel important to you, it feels very important to me to tell you this. Amen. Because it's clear and simplistic, don't be deceived into thinking that it's not true and powerful. My life is not a success unless you're a success. My life is not a success unless my kids and their kids and their kids are successful. If we can understand this, then it helps us to keep from being a reed swayed in the wind. I I, I think of the Eregenus. I love the Eregenus. I love you too but I'm talking about them. I love them. I see a husband and wife who love each other, who are model Christians, and they've really only become fully alive in their walk, in even in the last few years, being baptized in the Spirit since they've been here. It's not easy for them. They have to deal with other family situations every single day but I see what it does for Nick and Sam. I can't imagine being their age and having an understanding of the Word that they have. I, I literally can't, I, I can't fathom it. It doesn't make me jealous of them. It makes me so excited in my heart. I'm like, yes. oh, amen, Lord. Amen. Lord, you've put me to help and to serve them by leading them. Lord, what can I do for them? What can I do for them? I pray for them all the time. I pray for this family all the time like I pray for you. I think of A.J. Goodness gracious. What is A.J. and her siblings going to be able to do? What is it going to be like not to know anything else other than spirit-filled, incredible, anointed work around the world? What is that going to be like? I single them out because they're worthy to be noted. They're worthy to be modeled after. I didn't ask them permission because they would have told me no. I figured I could ask for forgiveness rather than permission in this one. I think of the Stevens. I look at Judah Stevens at 19. And I'm going, that is the most ridiculous young man I have ever known. Eric and I have talked about this, so I feel it's okay to say this. If you compare Judah at 19 with Eric at 19, it's not even close. It's hands down that Judah is light years ahead of where an Eric Stevens was at 19. Is that correct, Charlie? Yeah. Charlie's behind him going, oh yeah. (laughs) You don't even know. (laughs) Pastor Wade, you really shouldn't bring up these examples because those of us who don't have such a good example, it, it, it may make us feel uncomfortable. I'm trying to help you be an oak, not a, not a reed. Because at some point, somebody's just got to draw a line in the sand and say, it, no more. Right. Whatever negative thing was before. Right. Eric Stevens could have curled up in a ball and said, do you know how wicked my family has been? I mean, this is all that I'm supposed to be. But he didn't. The Ereginas are some of the most hungry people I know. They keep going more and more towards the Lord. What about you? What do you need to look and say, that is a generation that's passed. I'm tired of being swayed by things. I'm tired of being swayed by my own heart, by my own emotions, by everything around me. Lord, make me an oak. Lord, make me an oak of righteousness so that this generation that I'm in, that I can win this generation. It's nice and it is true. My perspective is long-term and it's immediate. Y'all know me, both and, right? I live longitudinally. I'm thinking about tomorrow and the tomorrow tomorrows and after that and what's going to go on there. I want to make a legacy. I want to be a bright star that shines in the heavens for the Lord. But it all starts today. If I'm whatever I'm doing today is going to be my tomorrow. Let's take let's take a look. We're gonna stay in the in the slides just for a few minutes, Susan. Let's take a look in the next one. This generation. Here's what <laughs> I hate saying this, scholars. Yeah, I use that term very loosely. It says about this generation. If you are, if you were born 1980 to you know, around 2000, would you raise your hand for me? Good grief. 1980 through 2000, okay. I feel old. I think I just got three more gray hair right here. Uh, here's, here are some characteristics, according to statistics, according to experts and scholars, about your generation. Uh, they feel very special and important. Each milestone has been celebrated and praised in every way possible. We now have graduations. How many graduations do you now have? Right? We graduated from preschool. Now we're graduating from kindergarten and first grade and third grade and fifth grade and eighth grade and twelfth grade. Yay! This is a group that craves attention. This is a secular Article, right? Secular. Uh, Many people measure themselves by how many likes they get on Facebook, how many friends they can get on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Highly sheltered. As a former principal, I used to call them hover parents or hover moms. Sometimes we call them helicopter moms, (laughs) right? And by that, the helicopter just kind of stay around. So the kid's there, but mom's just kind of like, Hey, what's going on? Nothing? Just checking. I grew up going out in fields and back in, um, back in the woods, and if there were snakes, then you just saw how many snakes you can kill that day. That's right. This <laughs> generation, it was a good day. This, gen- good day. <laughs> this generation, uh, we don't want to let them pass the end of our driveway. We literally now have sight lines. I remember my mom honestly locking the door. Summertime. I'm... Less than 10. I'm a single digit. I'm nine years old. Click. You got the water hose outside if you need something. You're a boy. There's plenty of trees over there if you need to go to the bathroom. I'll see you at dinner time. That's not how this generation was raised. Safety. We got car seats now. And I'm going to sound real old here for a second. Hang on. I remember sleeping in the back window of the car. I do. I was like, "Boo boo, my spot!" What up? It was terrible, but that was my spot. Laying on the floor, walking, just just running around the back seat. We have a different group. They're highly sheltered, right? Before I leave that one, uh, we have a group that we want to continue to delay the actual arrival to adulthood. So we have, you know, infants. We have toddlers. Early childhood, elementary age kids, preteen, teen, Whew, getting tired. We, had, we we're just now getting to eighteen, right? Nineteen, and then now we want to have this new official category of this young adult sector before they get to full adulthood. So what does that mean? That means we want you to actually not be fully responsible yet, because you're not, <laughs> you're still not yet a full adult. We want to keep delaying those things. They're group oriented. Uh, They work toward achievement rather than learning in school. They're highly, they're multitasking because there's a lot of pressure. They're going from, (coughs) excuse me, from karate to soccer to piano to whatever. (laughs) Sometimes I I realize that I'm like, golly, where do they fit in all this time? Oh, they're not going to church these tasks, baseball for family members of ours has become their church. It's the people that they hang out with. It's what they do every night of the week. It's where they spend their weekends. I'm like, oh, oh, that's your church. Okay, I understand why you commit so much time. You commit as much time to your church as I do to mine. They trust those over them. Working towards achievement rather than learning in school because they're so pressured, what they've got to do we can, I think we can go to the next slide. I think it is. Yeah. Let's talk schools for just a second. I'm not going to spend all day here. I'm trying to paint a picture of generations. I'm trying to paint a picture of what's going on here so that we're not with our heads stuck in the sand and missing some bigger things and what we're supposed to do to be impacting that. Okay? Um, Abraham Lincoln. The philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Terrifying. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln. So what does that mean? Look at the philosophy of government now and you can retroactively understand what we've been teaching in our country for the last 40 years. We've been teaching secularism. We've been teaching humanism. We've been teaching come let us indoctrinate your little bitty babies so that by the time they get out there are certain democratic nominees for the presidential presidential race that have incredibly socialistic perspectives on things. Our young people of college age are very, very interested in this certain person. You know why? Because it resonates with them, because that's what they've been hearing for the last 20 years of their life. That's right. Not even try to make a political statement. Just seeing and looking and understanding the generation that we're in. Primary responsibilities of schools. Who's supposed to have the primary responsibility of our schools? Is it supposed to be really the parents? As a teacher, that's the first thing I learned. People wanted me to parent their kids for them. I've shared that before. First year teaching, first three months I was in the classroom, I was 21 years old. Parent, I tried a kid out on musical instruments. They wanted to play one thing. I said that they were better suited to another. My mom said, oh, okay, well, can you tell them? Yeah. You want me to tell them instead of you? Well, yeah, because I just don't want to tell them no. You're going to have a lot more problems than whether they play saxophone or drums. That's, that's going to be the least of your worries coming up. But I remember as a 21-year-old going, golly, you want me to parent your seventh grade? That's, that's not what this is supposed to be. The primary focus of schools. Uh, I took this off of the United States Department of Education website this morning. Yet in today's world, a college degree or advanced certificate increasingly represents the entry ticket to rewarding careers and fulfilling lives. What our society wants to tell you today, and you've heard it and you may have even said it, why, why, do, we, why do we want our kids to get a good education? get a good job, make a good living. You know what the original founders of our country, you know what their goal was? The reason that education was brought into our country, the reason that Harvard started in 16-whatever, the reason that William and Mary started a few years after that, the reason Princeton was started, you know what they were started to be? Seminaries. They were instituted so that our children could learn enough education so that they could properly study the Word of God. That was, that was the foundation. You can go back and read, so many of the founding fathers had this. And today we're saying, we've shifted it. We've said, hey, it's not about learning. It's about getting, there's some other motive that's here. We don't want you to learn so you can learn. We want you to learn so you can get a good grade, so you can get a good job. Which means that you don't really have to learn. The more standardized tests that we focus on, you know what happens? Our teachers are going to be start holding more and more accountable for what scores their kids get. So now we're no longer worried about the teaching. We're only worried about results. And you know what that does? That forces you where people know a little bit of a lot of things. We sound educated, but we're easily controllable. We sound educated, but we're not actually educated at all. It's almost like having a form of godliness and denying its true power. Obviously, schools and the power of God can be two separate things, but it's still that same ploy that the enemy tries to use. Right? Let's go on to the next one. Our society. Wow. What a generation we're in, right? Let's turn to to Genesis 19 just really quickly. Genesis 19... I'll have to find it real quick. There are many churches who are starting to throw their endorsements towards same-sex marriage, towards homosexuals. And the way they say it nowadays is that their perspectives on the Scripture are evolving. Cowards. (laughs) They are indeed cowards in every sense of the word. Take a look at Genesis 19, and I want, I want us to be aware that we will not be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Um, let's start 19.3. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Some people want to argue with that. Was it really all the men? Let's just say this: the Bible decided that it was enough of them to call it all. <laughs> At the worst case scenario, or the best, the best case scenario for that part of it's, it was enough people that they just said it was all of them. Every one of them for every, every part of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. Verse five: They called to Lot, "Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them." Wow, it's amazing that what used to be whispered in the back rooms becomes loud declarations in our day. Yes? Yeah. What in my parents' generations you would you would whisper about certain things. Now it's on every news channel, now it's on every video feed that you can find. It's what they start off the, the a broadcast with now, right? Verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him. and said, no, 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 my friends. Don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. Uh, by the way, yeah, we won't even get into that. That's, you cannot defeat worldly ways by with a lesser, less evil worldly way. You can only defeat evilness with righteousness. You can only combat wickedness With God's Holy Spirit. You can't do it in a way that's like, well, it's less bad than that. If that is your paradigm, then what the world has done is it's twisted you. You know what wickedness talks about? The root words of wickedness is when you start to twist like a wicker chair. You take something and you twist it. It takes truth and perverts it. You cannot combat these aggressive homosexual men in this city, by saying, hey, you can go ahead and rape my daughters instead. It's hard for me to say that out loud. The Scripture captures exactly what happens. Good and bad. It shows us a real picture of what went on. Let me bring them out to you, and you can can do what you like with them. Speaking of cowards. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Can I, can, let me just address one more thing. We want things to be nice and tidy. We want things to be black and white. And sometimes they're a little bit more complex than that. When you're dealing with people. what If you see in Lot, this guy and he's like, well, at least he's trying to protect his, these men of God who's come. That can't be our standard. That's the, that's the reed being swayed by the wind. Well... They did this right, and they're, they're good people. <laughs> we have to develop being oaks of righteousness to say this is the standard. If I miss it, it doesn't matter. I don't move the standard. I, I just have to tell you that I missed it. Amen. I have to repent before a righteous God. I don't get to just go, well, they meant well. Well, if you only understood me better, there's a righteous standard, and we all have to go towards it. Verse 9, get out of our way, they replied, and they said, this fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. The part that I wanted to bring up of, with this is any wickedness, the truth is, is that wickedness never wants to just get on a play, and level playing field with you. The homosexual agenda for the past years has been, hey, we just, we're just asking for equality here, people. I mean, right? Love is love. We're just trying to get. We're just trying. Have you heard these things or not? Yes. That's not what the end goal of a wicked spirit is. Hey, you know. I mean, you can't ask us those kind of things. Just, just we'll live our life and you live yours. What was the military policy years ago? Don't ask. You know what happens with the don't ask, don't tell policy? It facilitates this kind of spirit. Now the issue is, that let's get on playing field. We want, you, we want you to like what we do. I want you to tell me that you approve of what I do. And if you don't, I'm going to say that you're being hateful. You have to approve of my sin. Wait, wait, wait. No, I'm not going to. You're going to have to approve to it or we're going to do something worse to you than we said we're going to do to them. This is the Spirit. Well, hey man, that was in Genesis 19. That was thousands of years ago. Yes. Yes, it was. And it hasn't changed. <laughs> my son had the, uh, the interesting experience of speaking to a Muslim in the mall the other day. At a kiosk. And what the Muslim told him when my son quoted to him John 14:6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He said, you can't say that. 25-year-old man to my 15, 16-year-old So I can't remember if it was before his birthday or not. I know his age. Couldn't remember. (laughs) You can't say that. I, I think I just did. You can't tell me that I'm wrong. Actually, the Word of God clearly points it out. Have you ever talked to someone who is for same-sex marriage or for homosexuality? Have you ever talked to them about the Word? And even if you're doing it in Conway, have, has anybody ever said, you can't say that? <laughs> anybody of our Montrose, Montrose ministry, have you, has anybody ever said that to you guys? Because right. it's, 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 the, it's the chant of today. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me I'm wrong. As a matter of fact, if you give me enough time, I want to hear you say that I'm right. It's perverse. It's the same spirit that goes all the way back to Genesis, though. Same-sex marriage. I won't won't spend time on that. Look up in in some of your spare time. It's been about a year now. Uh, One of the dissenting Supreme Court justices, Anthony Scalia, who passed away in February, by the way, had a scathing dissenting opinion that was given on the Supreme Court dead within a few months. Today's decree says that my ruler, and the ruler of 320 million Americans coast to coast, is that a majority of the nine lawyers on the Supreme Court, the opinion in these cases is the furthest extension in fact, and the furthest extension one can even imagine, of the Court's claimed power to create liberties that the Constitution and its amendments neglect to mention. Another place, this is a naked judicial claim to le- to legislative, legislative, indeed, super-legislative power, a claim fundamentally at odds with our system of government, And yet this is exactly what happened. When you have a generation of people that starts redefining, but it didn't take place today. whatever you see today, it started generations ago. Well, whoever's in power now, you have to go back to their homes, yep. generations ago. You have to go back to their schools. You have to go back to people who decided that being a reed is much more advantageous because you can survive. It's been years and years and what a great generation did in World War II and went around and fought evil around the world. You know what they didn't do? They didn't fight the evil in their own home. That's true. It produced a sexual revolution that produced the leaders of today. What are we producing What's going on in your home? How are we doing? Are we allowing the world? Are you sitting your kids in front of a TV? Are you letting other people influence our kids more than us? Wow. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and balanced forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. <laughs> Sounds like Elijah hearing, trying to figure out where the voice of the Lord is, right? In her Democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution, it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Wow! Incredible. This is a, a French diplomat who was, who was here. I, I want to read this. Uh, I think it's this last slide that we'll do and then we'll get back fully into the scripture. Jonathan Kahn is a rabbi. He um, has some incredible video and audio clips that you guys can check out online, but... This is segments of a much longer piece that he had um, that was a pretty accurate picture of where our generation, of where our society is right now. We stand here at this critical hour between two altars and two gods. The voice of the Lord cries out, Choose you this day whom you shall serve. Our choice is not between one candidate and another. Can I just encourage you in that as elections come forward? Our choice is not between Democrats and Republicans and Tea Parties and... Independence. If you think that any of them, any of them, are going to fix what I'm talking about, you don't really understand the kingdom at all. You're missing the whole point. Our choice is not between one candidate and another. It is between God and Baal. The city on a hill, founded for the purposes of God, drove God out of its government. Now this is not talking this is talking about Washington, D.C., drove God out of its government, out of its culture, out of its public square. It celebrated ungodliness and called evil good and good evil. It lifted up the most innocent and helpless of its inhabitants and slaughtered them on the altars of self-obsession. Okay, Wade, what are we doing? I'm saying that this is an accurate picture of the generation that we're living in. If you're like me, maybe uh, I'm sure many of you, you guys are much smarter than I am, but I remember reading through the Scripture and being like, how could anybody ever do that? Yeah. I remember reading history books and being like, how could anybody be okay with a slave trade, a transatlantic stri- slave trade? Wow, those silly people. Until I realized that those things are still going on today. But what happens is it's out of our sight. So what's the phrase? It's out of mind. It's not right in front of me in my daily life. So you know what? I'm just going to kind of let it go. I'm not going to worry about those things. I appreciate people who go down to Planned Parenthood and take a stand out in front of that and say, we recognize that you're killing babies and we're just not going to stand for it. We're going to reach out to these people, these precious people coming in and going out and we're going to do what we can. When you read about people offering their children on idols to foreign gods and you're like, I cannot imagine what that would be like. I can. You can take all of the sicknesses combined in America and it doesn't touch what we've done with abortion. How can we think that God won't bring judgment against a country like ours? Let's turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Let me tell you what I'm not advocating for today. I am not advocating for some separatist mentality that says we're going to take our ball and we're going to go home. I'm actually going to show you some scriptures here that I think that give us the right perspective. Why did I spend as much time as I did on that? Because we get desensitized to it. The video that I saw that barraged this little sweet family with it was just paintball. It was nothing. The assault that we're under, though, we can't go through the idea that it's just nothing. We're used to it. We can handle it. If we go through with that perspective, then my guess is is that we're reeds, swayed by the wind. It takes something altogether different in us for us to stand up and say, there's an onslaught. Look at at, uh, Luke chapter 21 and verse 29. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees... When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Amen. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. In my mind, I'm sure there are many types of traps, but I think of like a bear trap. <laughs> Something that has the claws that you open up and there's a trigger in the middle. and you put your hand, They put a foot or a hand down in it and it closes around it. Be careful. Or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Wow! <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for the good news here. Be always on the watch. If I say be always, be always on the watch, on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Again, there are worse things than us dying. There's worse things than us being an oak that's shattered. <laughs> it's us standing before our Savior. Not having anywhere to hide. Not having anything that we can do to escape. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. And verse. Start in verse um, Verse 4. 1 Thessalonians 5.4 But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. These things that we're looking at, that we're talking about, should not be a surprise to us. You are sons of the light. Everybody say, sons of the light. Sons of the light. And sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are... Wow but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on what two things? Faith and love. What's an interesting thing, right? We're talking about a flood of dissipation that's coming. And he's saying, put on this. Be self-controlled and alert. Wake up. Wake up. Come on. Wake up. Wake up and put on faith and love as a breastplate. I brag on my kids so much I'm going to share a a correctable moment with my son that I had the other day. We were talking about a particular topic and my son used a term about uh, someone that we had a, a visit with that I was not very happy with. But dad... I would never say that term to those people. I just was telling Mom how I felt. See, because I want my son to put on faith and love. I want him to have the faith to stand there and be bold and call sin, sin. I don't want him to back down, to slow down, to back up, to let up. I want him to be able to stand righteously before anyone that comes before him and with the Word of God rightly divide exactly what needs to be said. And there needs to be a love for the people that are there. As a church, we need to be careful what we say, not just to the people that we're we're talking to. Let me encourage you as a pastor, be careful of what our comments are outside of that moment. I would trust us enough to know that There are things that we can say and not say to those who are sinful in front of us. Be careful of what we allow in our hearts. Be careful that there's not a lack of love that we're demonstrating even when we're referring to someone that we're speaking with in prison. Someone that we're speaking to. or We're referring to an incident that happened at Montrose. An interest that happened at your job with someone else that you're talking about. I want to encourage you to have not only faith, but also to have love. I was so blessed by Justin on Friday night. Goodness gracious, that was so good. Good Defining those words, the works of the flesh that are obvious. I went, God. Yep, yep. Boy, I could see where that could slip in my life. Yep, that has slipped in my life. Just down the list, I went, man, what a clear explanation. (laughs) The reason I'm saying what I'm saying right now is, let's be careful with our speech. Let's let no unwholesome talk come from our mouth only that which is good for edifying. I'm not asking us to back down, to not be truthful, to not be full of God's Spirit. I'm actually asking us to be more full of God's Spirit. Amen. Yes? Yes. Amen. Put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Amen. But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing now. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Say there when you are there. <laughs> there. 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 2 Corinthians 4 7. There. 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 But we have this treasure So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. We can say that about our society, right? Though outwardly our society is wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Everybody look up at me for just a second. I now play a gentle little song for you. <laughs> just, if you didn't hear there's a little phone or something chime that went off. Um it couldn't have been a phone basket. We have a standard. That's true. <laughs> Whatever you're going through right now is light and momentary. Whatever you're going through. The word says that it's light and momentary. For us, we're not saying that it feels to us that it is light and momentary. We're allowing our faith and our love to rise up and say, Lord, Your Word says that these are light and momentary. Do not be surprised when difficulties happen in our lives. It's not something for us to fear because this is what we are made to overcome. We are oaks of righteousness. Does an oak tree Is it worried about a common thunderstorm that comes through? It is not. Is it worried about a summer breeze that comes through? Of course it's not. It's an oak of righteousness. Whatever winds of discouragement, whatever winds of adversity are blowing in your life, stand firm, do not be swayed, and understand that it is a light and momentary trouble and that it's achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. Turn to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start wrapping this up. Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 9. Let's look at men and families who stood well even in difficult situations, who made a mark for generations. You know what I was thinking of? Is that each one of the main Bible characters, if you just wanted to do a quick thought through many of the pillars, the, the heroes of the faith, if you just start thinking through and naming them, you know what a lot of them had in common? Besides, they all went through incredible difficulty. There was something about them impacting the generations that was seen in their story. If you're like Abraham, you had a father who was an idol maker and an idol seller. And he becomes the father of the faithful because of how he would raise his children. It passes on and you start seeing this generational mark that over time, you see these godly men doing incredible things. And look at Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it says this. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time. Another translation said he was blameless among his generation. And he walked with God. And then it goes and it tells us about his sons. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. Wow. Pastor, this is, this is difficult. We live in a difficult day. Yes. Yes, we do. W- wickedness is increasing. Yes. Yes, it is. How, how can we... I see from the very beginning of men who stood in the most difficult of circumstances. That's right. The Lord wiped out the population of the planet except for Noah and his family. If Noah can stand, you know what it does? It builds my faith. Say, so if Noah can stand, then I can stand. If Abraham can stand, then I can stand. If Moses could stand, then I could stand. If David could stand, then I can stand. Amen. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. We've got to take care of both the inside and outside of what God is doing. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You know what we keep doing as a church? We're saying there's an ark, and there's a prescription on how to build it. Can't decide what we want our ark to be. There is an ark that God has provided, and we must run to it. That's right. It's taken care of, it's treated right on the inside and on the outside, so that it will stand the test of what is, what is to come. Make a roof for it and finish the ark within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring the floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. This is the same picture that God does with us now. Lord, we are living in a land It seems like the floodwaters are rising. You know what God says? Just like I did for Noah, I will make a covenant with you. Amen. I will make one with you and you can come to me. <laughs> right? We don't run elsewhere. We only run to the Lord. When people want us to yield to them, to be like that, that, that reed that swayed, hey, we're an oak. You're going to have to come to us. You're going to have to come to where the Lord is because this is exactly... How this is going on. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 22. Joshua 22. We're going to start in verse 24. Joshua 22, 24. Here, here's the, here's the backstory of this. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh have been serving with Joshua. He said, okay, it's now time for you guys to go ahead and occupy your land. Some of these are known as the Transjordanian tribes, right? They are on the other side of the Jordan. And so what happened was that they went, and as they were getting to their places, they built an an altar. As they were building the altar, some of the other children of Israel heard about it and was like, well, hold up. You're, You're trying to set some type of different standard. Time, time to get on the war gear, boys. Let's go out. So they're getting there now and they're talking to these three tribes and here's what it says. Verse 24. They're calling them to, into account for the altar that they made. No, we did it. We didn't do it so that we would sacrifice there. We did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you Reubenites and Gadites. You have no share in the Lord, so your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burn offerings and sacrifices. On the contrary, is to be a witness. Everybody say a a witness. Between us and you and the generations that follow. If you look in the Old Testament, you look up the word remember, in Deuteronomy by itself, it's 16 times. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. 30 times within the law. Remember the Lord. Remember what He's done. Remember. What they're doing here is they're setting up an altar that says, hey, one day, when years into the future, if we don't hand this, these stories down and understand each other right, this altar is going to be a memorial for our communion. For our ability to stay connected with each other. Even though we are here in a different place, we've got to have this altar of connection. And that's what we're doing here. We are keeping an altar of connection between us so that we understand right now we remember. But what happens? What happens in the generations? Our, our memory gets lax. We get to a place where, where the Pharaoh that was in charge of Israel, they didn't know who Joseph was. There are things that change. And what they're saying is, we have to keep this altar of connection. Verse 27, on the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you for the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at His sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. <laughs> they want to make sure that they understood who was on the same team with them. Hey, same team, man. Verse uh, Psalm chapter 24. Psalm chapter 24. Talked about Noah, talked about Joshua and the children of Israel. Psalm twenty-four. We get a Psalm of David. Psalm twenty-four and verse one. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hands. And a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. What an incredible, incredible passage. Let's turn to the New Testament. Let's look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 47. Luke 11.47 says this, Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you built their tombs. Um, It's amazing what the actions in our life will prove that we're connected to. Because of this, God in His wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Verse 50. Therefore this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. Wow. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. If we're standing in the generation of the wicked, and we're allowing them to influence us, here in this passage, <laughs> you might end up getting the whole heap of judgment. In this generation, we have, we have one, of, one of the disciples of this ministry who had an incredibly insightful um, revelation. I guess that's a little bit redundant. An insightful revelation. Not just a revelation, but an insightful one. From the blood (laughs) extraordinary. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. There's some differences on who this Zechariah might be. But for the sake of this, we can see that it's if you understand the way that the Jews wrote their the Old Testament, you have the law, the prophets, and the writings. They're basically saying, from the beginning to the ending of their scriptural text. They're saying, from the first to the last who was killed, all of it. There's going to be judgment that's brought because from Abel all the way to Zechariah, all of that from the beginning to end is going to be held there. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. Let's turn to 1 Peter in closing. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Say there in 1 Peter, and I just want to read one verse to you in Genesis. In Genesis 2, it says this This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. The NIV doesn't really do that part justice in the in the original language. It says that these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. There have been cycles throughout the course of history that have said. There is a righteous God who comes in and makes a way. People who stay connected, they fall away from Him and cry out to Him. There's a history of a flood of dissipation, of wickedness that rises, and God that comes in and reestablishes the righteous standard. This is the history of our people, of humankind. But look in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body... Arm yourselves with the same attitude. Well, that's interesting. Arm yourselves with an attitude. Huh. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. And don't misunderstand it. Our desires are evil. You're not primarily a pretty good person who has some flaws in you. Without Christ... We are desperately wicked. We are evil to our core. And that's why we need a Savior. Does not live for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do. (laughs) Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Listen to this. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. (laughs) That's the people who are doing evil. Who be like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you going to come and do this? What's wrong with you? Why are you not approving of us? They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. Verse 5, But they will have to give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. <laughs> the end of, of all things is near. <laughs> well, thank you, Mr. Man, so I can put on my A-frame you know, sign and walk around downtown Houston. <laughs> the end of all things is near. <laughs> so what are we supposed to do about it? Therefore... Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Wow. Talk about the end of all things. And what is it saying? Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. It's important to us... um, Over the years, I've had friends, they've, there's pastors here in this church who have seen different visions and understood different pictures that the Lord has sent. One that Pastor Eric had a couple of years ago was in, in kind of in a repetitive fashion was a, was a plane, like a salt plane out in Nevada or Arizona or wherever it was. And a stake that was driven down into the ground, pounded and driven down. And the picture was that a flood began to completely consume that area. And the only ones that survived this raging torrent that came through were the ones who had found the stake and latched onto it for all that they were worth. The flood of dissipation that's here, the end, the, the difficulties that we're seeing, are not meant to make us afraid. It's supposed to help us to be clear-minded and sober so that we can come forward and we can say, Lord, in the midst of this declination of what's going on, how do you have us to be a generation that stands for righteousness? Amen. The darker it is there, you know what it's supposed to be for us? That our light shines all the more brightly. Lord, if this is the case, if even the small things, if even the small things people don't understand, Lord, why is it that you have this church that's developing Being such deep convictions to go along with the word and with the spirit. You know why? Because those around us don't have any convictions. We're trying to find that stake and we're trying to grasp onto it. What do you need to be doing for your walk with the Lord and for your family? Where are you at in developing a generational, a generation conquering attitude? Would you guys stand with me as we begin to pray?